Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, I'm Daisy Buchanan, and if you're listening on Christmas Eve, I'd like to wish you a very Merry Christmas from the Your Book Gang. I hope you've all been good this year, and that Santa will fill your stockings with shiny new things to read. And if you've been borrowing books without returning them, bending pages back and dropping them in the bath, don't come crying to me when you wake up on Christmas morning to a sackful of coal. I am so excited about this week's guest. This is a writer I have loved for a long time. We went to Rainy Truro in Cornwall this autumn and hung out with Nina Stibby, the author of the books about the Vogel family, Man at the Helm and Paradise Lodge. Many people first became familiar with Nina's keen wit and observational power from her first smash hit, Love Nina, a collection of the letters she wrote mostly to her sister while she worked as a nanny for Mary Kay Wilmers, the editor of the London Review of Books. Nina also has a Christmas book called An Almost Perfect Christmas. I inhaled it like a tin of quality streets. Her description of the way her mother forced her siblings to defrost the turkey with a hairdryer in shifts is genuinely one of the funniest things I've ever read in my life. She's been nominated for the hugely prestigious Woodhouse Prize for comic writing twice, and I think her work has appeared on the bookshelves of almost every other Your Book guest we've interviewed. Nina is as kind as she's clever. She's one of the best and funniest people I know. You might hear her lovely dog, Peggy, in the background. We took Peggy out for a walk after the recording, and there was a horrible incident with another overly friendly dog, but Peggy was very, very brave. Anyway, enjoy. We are in Nina Stibby's office. Uh, it's really, really beautiful here. We're in this gorgeous, enormous room with a very high ceiling. There is um, there's a balcony and French windows. Are these French windows? Yeah. Uh, we can see lots of um, autumnal leaves. It's very vibrant out here. We can see Truro Cathedral just out of the corner. Yeah. Now, can we hear? What, what is the storm? I don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a named one, isn't it? Yeah. The storm it bastard. Helena. Helena. Yeah. So it's the beginnings of, of storm. Can you see the palm tree wibbling? Yeah. And so you see the trains going across there, which is quite... I like seeing the trains. Can you hear them? Yeah. Well? Is that oh, quite yeah, soothing? Yeah. And you hear the night train come in at 7 Ooh. o'clock in the morning. Should we go in? So, Nina. Yes. Uh, can you remember the first book? you ever read where you knew that you were maybe not supposed to be reading it um I do remember reading very grown-up books that my mum was reading and and feeling that they were probably not meant for me but looking back they weren't ever that awful you know so I remember reading um The Millstone by Margaret Drabble and although nothing was you know, particularly inappropriate for my is young age. Is that the one where they're doing rap theatre? What I remember of it is as a, as a woman, a very young woman who gets pregnant. Oh, yeah. and it's the beginning where and she's the talking about the... having an abortion. Yes, And someone that. else sort of went and tried to convince the doctor that they were too psychologically unsound to have the baby. And then they said, no, you're too mad to have an abortion. You can't Yeah, there was that kind of thing. And I remember she, she, God, spoilers. But anyway, she has the baby and calls it Octavia. That's what I remember. That was what I came away with, that name. 
Anyway, and I remember just reading books of that ilk, Edna O'Brien, and or sort of thinking I was reading them and leafing through them and thinking, actually, these aren't really meant for me. So how old would you have been then? Oh, I don't know. Maybe 10. Yeah. And, and did you find the things that you perhaps didn't know about became clear through context or do you look back and think no that went way over my head no I think I was quite shaped by some of the books the sort of 1960s books that I read it shaped my expectation of life I thought you just got pregnant you know I thought you got to sort of grown up you got to sort of 18 19 and you'd get pregnant and then you'd be should I have the baby or not and you probably would have it and struggle but it'd be fine and I remember one of my siblings, I think one of my sisters said that she was very, her expectation of life was shaped by Beatles lyrics, that she thought it was all going to be men falling in love with her and all that. Whereas I was much more shaped by... rhyming schemes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) As I was much more, you know, I thought, I don't know. So did you think there'd be a a loneliness to it? Because I suppose in all those books there's a sense of being pregnant and abandoned. Well, moving to a flat, and and then actually I did move to a flat at a very young age. I moved to live on my own, age 17. And all my friends were horrified that I was going to do this because, it, you know, it sort of was quite lonely. And and immediately and mysteriously you were pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, no, I didn't get pregnant. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. I don't know how that didn't happen. But I did, yeah, end up on my own because I'd read so many books where that happened, you know, like in The Country Girls and things like Mm. that. They go off and live on their own and they struggle. And I sort of thought that was... And I was never going to go to university because I'd left school so young so ridiculously young and I so I was always going to have to find my adventures in in another way in a more lonely way really because that's the thing about leaving home without going to university is that you sort of tend to do it on your own you've not had that halfway house time have you no I mean I did end up going to university but when I was 21 so that seemed quite grown up but I had my sort of leaving home I moved from the countryside in Leicestershire to the city alone to a bedsit and that was that was weird yeah, but I, I did it with the, in the spirit of all these 60s novels that I'd read. And it does sound like a book, and it, and it was a book. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. A book that so many people know you for and really love you for is Love Nina. And letters, I think, are, as readers, they perhaps fulfil a similar function to a diary, but it's a really different feeling, isn't it? Did you keep diaries as well as writing letters? Do you have a... I did, I did what everybody, well, I did what most people do, which is I'd get a diary and I'd write it during January and then I didn't really carry on with it. And it's a shame because it would be very handy now to have diaries. I, and I know pe- a lot of famous diarists actually make up their diaries. They're not ah. real. Yeah, I've heard that. Because I really wondered about that, that reading the Tina Brown one. Like, did you really remember yeah. all of that? Yeah. But I suppose... But if you've got a good... See, I could fake my diaries. Hmm. I could easily do it because I remember so much. And I remember really tiny, tiny details. So it makes me quite a good memoirist. Mm. And it means I could... So I, it's a shame, really, that I didn't fake them. I wish I had. I might fake them. Would we might you... have to not use this bit of the tape. <laughs> fake my diary. But do you think that writing a letter lends itself to funny writing better? Because it's making someone else laugh. A bit like cooking for one, I guess. You've got a function yeah. rather than making yourself laugh. Look, I love, I love letters, books of letters. And I love books. I love novels that are written as if they're letters. I love the thing. I love all the rubbish that you can leave out. You don't need the exposition if you if you writing as letters, then the reader's got a little bit of work to do, and that I think that's fine. But you can't do that in a novel. You have to explain mm. every step of the way, and that is a little bit dull. And sometimes I've been told off for leaps that I've made, and I think, oh, for God's sake, you know, do I really have to spell out that you know they've got another dog? You know, it's obvious the dog's there. And in letters, I love the gaps. It is great. Letters are great. Um, so I see um, Alyssa Evans, Old Baggage, which oh, yeah, is that's great. It's quite an insult to come at you from it's a the great book. It's a great book. But see, up here, it's quite a lot of my workbooks. So quite a lot of the books are either my own books in different translations and stuff. And I put them up here to remind me. Of what? 
my success. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, they're up here because you've got to Do you have a favourite translated editions? Uh, I do. Great. If I can find it, I, there's a one that, that my name's Nina Stibiova. Let's find it. Ooh, it's not that one, is it? No. Yeah. So is that Stibiova? Yeah. Yeah, look at this. But isn't that cool? It's amazing. That's a, um, is that a mule? Well, it's Bluebell the Baby Donkey. Oh, of course it is. Bluebell the Baby Donkey, yeah. They're, <gasps> they're all in large print, and it's Thorpe. And I think, I think this is a Leicestershire company. I think it is. And, in fact, Paradise Lodge being in large print mm. is brilliant because yes! there are large print books feature in the novel mm. because it's in a nursing home, of course. And it was, in my day, it was Ulverscroft. And we used to have the librarian come round and the old ladies and old men would read these big books. But look, aren't they great? As a, a short-sighted person, I'm really enjoying that nice yeah. big font. Great, isn't it? Oh, yes. So, while we're in your Let's, office... Oh, yes. Um, look, this is me plotting. That's going to work. That's going to work. Yeah. So we can see this um, lovely big yeah. whiteboard. Yeah. So that's all... That's just so, things that I've got to change and it's a reminder. Is this colour coding or is this... No, it's just pens. me getting bored with the different colour pens. But I, I once wrote out a really elaborate plot because this is a massive whiteboard and I'd got it and I'd, I'd done it in columns so it was each character went <gasps> down like that and then I'd say where they met and I did it really, really carefully and, and methodically and then my son wiped it all off to do his chemistry. Yeah. Oh, no. yeah. But he did take a picture of it just in case, which was handy. So were you able to? Well, I, yeah, go and, back it, to and, it? It, and it didn't matter that much, but I, it was quite interesting. I do feel as though if he needed to take a picture of it, he should have known not to do it at all. Um, they Maybe. take pictures of everything now, Daisy. So we, this is, yeah, should we go downstairs and look at the real bookshelf? The biggest thing in this house that matters more than anything else is our Harry Potter display. Oh, our can shrine. We, can you see this? Yeah, if it's still there, because we tidied up for you coming. Um, can you tell me about your relationship with Harry Potter? Did you, did you love the books because of having children? Did you love them before? Was it sort of a, a cult that, that caught on? Um, so that, the Harry Potter display was here, so it's been tidied away, um, unless it's been moved along. Yeah, no, it's been tidied away. Um, so we've got every Harry Potter book and every Harry Potter CD and film, and we've got lots of Harry Potter knickknacks from when people have been to the Harry Potter world. And Harry Potter very important because I think Harry Potter was there waiting for my kids as they reached the age of stories and before they were even reading to themselves we were reading Harry Potter to them. And they've both then got to the age of reading them themselves. And then we got to the age of having Stephen Fry reading ah. them literally all day, every day, on every journey, in every room in the house. And so Harry Potter is very, very, very important. And when my daughter was in year six, which is when they're about 12, I think, 11 or 12, they were asked to write about their hero and my daughter wrote about J.K. Rowling and wrote about her. And it really came home to me just how amazing she is. You know, she, her life and her ambition and her ordinariness. You know, she didn't mm. get any breaks. She did it. And then the way she's handled her success and her fame and her courage and her generosity and just her dignity. I just, she is her, she's great. So there you go. So the Would shrine, you... the shrine has been slightly moved, but it, it had it had a horcrux and it had um, various sort of iconic bits and pieces. The, the essence of the shrine. Oh, look, there's a horcrux, I think, here. I thought I saw the yeah. horcrux. There's a horcrux. But I think maybe the kids have got to the age of being a bit self-conscious about it. Oh, look, there's Hedwig. Oh, yeah. That's a very yeah. That's lovely. Elegant and sturdy cage for Hedwig. Yeah. Room to move, move, yeah. Room to move around in. Yeah, but she's magic. So, she can get out of there, no problem. That's very, very yeah. true. Yeah. Um, so, how much writing were you doing then when you were young? I've always written um, because I grew up in a family of people who all wrote. So I thought that's something that people did. So I did it. 
you know I didn't think I'm going to be a writer and start writing I just thought well I'll write my thoughts because my mum wrote her thoughts my dad did and various family members always wrote and I'm, I met other people as I was you know young adult and they all wrote so I thought it was just a normal thing to do which meant when Love Nina was published when I was 50 I'd got quite a lot of writing already in the bag as it were Ah. You know, I've got Man at the Helm was already written. A real, yeah. here's one I made earlier. Yeah, exactly. And so Man at the Helm came out probably a year after Love Nina and I'd written much of it when I was in my 20s. I just had to rewrite it in my own real voice because that's what people liked about Love Nina because it really was my real voice. I took it out of, you know, Edna O'Brien's voice and <laughs> put it into my own voice. Which voice are you the most tempted to borrow or steal? Is it Edna O'Brien or the other writers that keep coming up? I see um, you've got uh, Zadie Smith, NW, and I have heard her say in an interview that she is a, an accidental ventriloquist. I can't say yeah. I've noticed it in her work, but it was nice to hear her say yeah, that she's yeah. a, a bit well, of a Well, I, I, I think you can't help it. Um, I noticed in my first book, which is The Letters I wrote, there's a subtle change about halfway through after... Nina has read Adrian Mole. Ah. You know, so she took, she said in one of the letters, she says, we're all reading these diary, Adrian Mole. And then my own letters have a slightly moly flavour after that. And, you know, there are things that I noticed in the real world and comment mm. on in the letters to my sister that I don't know whether a pre-mole me would have even noticed mm. that thing or mentioned it. There's a there's a, a dog called Ted Hughes and I think, you know, would would I have noticed he was called Ted Hughes had I not read about Pandora's horse? Um, so I think we're all picking up things. The writer I'm most parity with at the moment, and I have to be a bit careful because I think, oh, I sound like, is David Sedaris, ah. who is my favourite at the moment. He's I mean, just my brilliant. God, if you're going to borrow from anyone. Yeah, I don't mean to borrow, but I notice, I can't remember what I read that I'd written the other day and I thought, gosh, I, I'm sounding a bit... David but no I like you know Calypso his new one and I love um uh me talk pretty one day is that the title I'm not very good at the titles the one about the owls owls. yeah so I love them all I just and I and what I tend to do with him is read them and then I get the audiobook because I really love audiobooks and I love them when they're read by the author and so, yeah, I love him and I love his audiobooks. In fact, Patrick Gale, I've just read his latest as an audiobook ah. after reading it. Yeah. And Does he read it? Yes, yes, and he's brilliant. I wanted to ask whether there are any books that you loved when you were young that you were desperate for your children to read and they didn't take to. And also, if there were any books that they loved where you thought, oh, bloody hell, I might accidentally lose this one. Yeah, um, my... The a thing that that I gave my kids and they haven't taken to is Adrian Mole. Ah, yeah, they 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 didn't dislike it, but they, I presented it with such a fanfare and trumpets that I think they were expecting something brilliant, which mm. I thought it was. But it, it's different times. It's Did very think... different times, and I don't know why it didn't, but it just didn't. Because I guess that when you came to that book, you were already quite an adult reader. And it, but yeah, it, it really I was, is an adult book, isn't it? And do you think that if you just come to it slightly too early, too young, a yeah. lot of it is... Yes, you're right. I think that's probably what it was. But I, yes, and I read it when I was probably 20, 21, something like that. And I, I adored it. The interesting thing about it was I was surrounded by, you know, all those people, mm. Bennett and Miller, and everybody loved it. You know, my mum loved it, my brother loved it, Mary Kay loved it, Alan Bennett loved it. We were, we, you know... It was across the board. And books, my kids have loved being read to. And the books I've loved reading the most are the Mr. Gum books. Do you know Mr. Gum? Vaguely. Oh, my God. Mr. Gum. Yeah, Mr. Gum. He's the best. Here's Mr. Gum. Andy Stanton. Oh, is Mr. Gum there? We've got all Mr. Gums. Oh, my God. Mr. Gum and the Secret. This cover is amazing. It's very... um, Yeah. 
That's a fabulous yeah. bit. It reminds me a bit of that the Mitchell and the Webb sketch. Um, it's the Jigby's Chicken Caesar and yeah. um, Mr. Ginger. Gum. Mr. Gum was a fierce old blister with a face as angry as a thousand walnuts and a big red beard which smelt of menace and beer. <laughs> he hated children, animals, fun, comics, pop music, birthday parties, books, Christmas, the seaside. <laughs> Computer games, people called Colin, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Friday. Actually, it would be quicker to tell you what he liked instead. Anyway, he also hates um, corn on the cob. I always remember that. Anyway, Mr. Gum is brilliant to read to kids. It sounds really fun to read out loud. It's like Nikki Haslam's list of things that are common. Oh, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. So we loved Mr. Gum and there are quite a few of them. And uh, I also love Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Do you know the Diary of a Wimpy Kid? I know of it. American. Uh, Whereas Mr. Gum's very English, very British. And yeah, the Wimpy Kids, oh, they're they're brilliant. They're so funny. It's a family much more realistic. Mr. Gum is magical and crazy. But uh, Wimpy Kid is quite, quite realistic and it's a family and... His brother is in a band, rock band called Loaded Diaper, <laughs> and uh, they've got a cleaner. and And one day, uh, the wimpy kid—I can't even remember his name—he finds the cleaner's pantyhose in his bed, <laughs> just things <laughs> like that. And anyway, they're brilliant. And but these books, you, kids can read them themselves. But you get to that crossover time when kids—they still love you to mm. read to them. And it was just wonderful to find these things. There's books I didn't like reading to my kids. I just didn't enjoy the rhythms of the books. Mm. Um, and they were the Mr. Men books. They're oh, unbearable. Just like Lucy Mangan says in her book. Yeah. That she loved them. And then she came to them as an They're adult. awful. <laughs> yeah, they are awful. Sorry. Uh, but I love reading the, like, Room on a Broom and... The Gruffalo people. Mm. I didn't, didn't. My kids didn't love the Gruffalo, but they like her other books, and they're great because they're in rhyme and they're just they just jog along. In fact, there's a lovely new book out uh, for kids. They're too young for my kids, and um, it's by Garth Jennings, who oh. you know Garth Singh Jennings, son of Rambo Jennings. Yes, yes, sorry, yeah, he's brilliant. So like, he's written this kids book, and it's just brilliant. Um, called The Wildest Cowboy, I think. Anyway, and that's in rhyme, but it's, oh. it's a bit more funky than, you know, it's, it's very inventive and, and exciting. This is, And this is why I ended up reading very adult fiction when I was 10 and why my kids will, because we've got like Zadie Smith, Paul Beattie, and then Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and then R- Roald Dahl, and so it goes on, and Harry Potter. And then we've got Manual for Cleaning Women by Lucia Berlin. Oh, I want to read that. Yeah. And so, yeah, right old mixer. I mean, is that a deliberate philosophy? Do you have any sort of fantasy about having some kind of catalogue library, or do you like the eclectic nature of having everything? If I could choose, I'd have it all A to Z. Um, maybe with a with the really young kids things separately, but I would have it A to Z because it's a nightmare trying to find. You have to use your, your memory and go. Where did I see it? Where did I see it? And there's there's a lot of books here, and also they're double thick a lot of the time. Oh god, I've got a book confession, which is quite often if I know there's something I want to refer to in a book, if I have it, I will download it on Kindle because yeah. that makes you it easier just to just it. search. Yeah, yeah. Are there any book crimes that you are guilty of, or are there anything? Anything that you do in terms of the handling of books that you have been I'm very I'm just, I'm really rough with books. I really use them and I bend them and I write on them and I fold the edges down, you know, I dog ear them. I'm quite happy. But then I don't mind buying another copy and I will lend a book knowing I won't get it back. Are there any books that you would never lend just because are there any special books that you think, No, I need to have this here and have it in in good nick? I think there are certain books I couldn't bear not to have and if I thought I couldn't get it again, I wouldn't lend it. But I'm a real lender of books. I love talking about books. So if I've read a book that I love, I immediately want someone else to read it so I can talk about it with them. So I'm quite happy to give books away. But there are there's, there's a few things. I mean, there's a thing, it's in sort of booky. Um, Diary of a Nobody, mm. which is one of my favourite books ever. But it's always been in print, so you can always get yeah. it. But I had a recording of Arthur Lowe reading it. <gasps> oh, wow. And I lent it to somebody who was in hospital. And it was on a cassette, I think. Ooh. And I never got it back. And now you can't get it. You can get Martin Jarvis reading it, which is fine. Oh. 
Well, you can't even get anything to play the cassette on. <laughs> yeah, but you could, you could, I could have recorded yeah. it. Or, you know, somebody could put it out on CD mm. or whatever. But anyway... The, but I like the, to think that now this... Because it must exist somewhere. I've really searched for it because it's so, so good. I mean, Arthur Lowe mm. reading Charles Pooter. But I mean, that must exist in an archive. Well, you think so. You think so. But obviously it's not put important it enough. I have sent a letter. I sent a... I think a, a comment on Amazon or something like that saying, Dear BBC, or so I can't remember, I was a bit grovelly. Why, yo, oh, why, yo, oh, why? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm very, I'm quite happy. And, and also, I'm just happy to buy books. My kids only have to mention not only books that they like reading, mm. fiction stuff, but, you know, I'm, I buy them all their course books. Even if they say, we don't need it, Mum, there's 200 copies in the library. I just go, no, we want them, we want them. So we buy lots of books. You'll see lots of textbooks here. What do you think is the book that you give away the most or give as a gift the most? Is there a particular... Uh, the gift, the book I give at the book. moment, the last couple of years, would be Francis Plug. Gosh. How to be a public How to be a public author. Public author. And I, uh, who's the author of that? Because I can never Paul remember. Paul Ewan. Paul Ewan. Yeah. It's not Francis and, Plug. That and, is a, yeah, it's not. Yeah, he's, he's a character. And he's not a friend of mine, but I always talk about him as if he is because I really want everyone to read that book because it's so funny that i mean that is a magnificent book about kind of crimes against literature and crimes made yeah. in the name of literature yes yes indeed and that's partly why i find it so funny it's kind of a blurring of fact and fiction because mm. he actually did attend those author talks but did he really talk to hillary mm. Mantel about the drinking water did or he? you know <laughs> Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We'll be back to Nina soon. But now it's time for my Steal of the Week, a book I loved so much that paying the cover price alone feels like an act of daylight robbery. This week it's Lucy Mangan's Bookworm, a memoir of childhood reading. It was published in February 2018 by Vintage. If you're a Your Book listener and you haven't read this, it couldn't be further up your alley. It's a moving, charming, compelling memoir about a life defined by books and how books stitch us together. Mangan writes utterly gorgeously about everything from the borrowers to Sweet Valley High. I guarantee she will have read and loved the one book that defined your childhood that no one else has ever heard of. For me, this was The Family from One End Street. This is one of the very best books I read in 2018. It is life-enhancing. Now back to Nina. Do you think writers are just gossips with a good turn of phrase? Or do you think that it's... Being a gossip doesn't come with the territory necessarily. It's um. Do we to, to talk about what you just did, or should we cut that out? Well, I you, feel as, rubbing as my finger along the, the, um, the spine of, of Catelyn Moran's "How to Build a Girl" and the dust coming off it. Um, I don't. I. It's the funny thing I about say this as a gossip. <laughs> well, the gossipy thing. I'm really quite happy to gossip about myself and talk about myself and think everybody's terribly interested. Mm. And I know my mum's the same because we meet people at book events and they're bookie people and authors mm. or, you know, book talk organisers. And so they're, they're kind of bookie people. And my mum will talk to them as if they know us intimately. She will talk to these people as if 
They've read my books and memorised every single bit. And I think, Mum, don't do this. But I should say, I've met um, your mum a few times now and I adore her. And I love it because it feels like such an easy, established intimacy. You know, almost a bit like turning up at boarding school in the 1920s. We're going to be great friends. Here's what I know. And I love it. It's a very inclusive gossipy quality. And I think it's it's truly wonderful. And I wish I could master it. But it's not cool. And I, I think... She she's there's no mystery. Not cool in that it's sort of that she should be a bit more boundaried and it's quite invasive or not oh, cool. Oh no, as no, in no, no, it's a bit too... Oh no, I I don't care about the boundary thing. Crikey, I've written about her enough. My God, um, the next book. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway, but so no, I know you're writing at the moment. Yeah, um, and. We've talked about it, and I want to ask you about this, but I don't know how much you want to talk about it. Well, it's right in thinking... March, so it's not that far away. It's the Vogels. It's um, the... Am I saying that right? Yeah. And it's... it's kind of, it's Love Nina era, but the yeah, but it's, Lizzie. It's the years just before um, Love Nina, and Lizzie Vogel, the character, mm. catches up with Love Nina, as it were. Mm. And so it's very early 80s. It's a, it's a sequel, although uh, we're not really supposed to use that word because it's very much standalone mm. and no prior knowledge required. But it is um, the third in the set of three books about the Vogel family, particularly about Lizzie Vogel. And she's moved from the countryside into the town and is living in a flat and is very lonely. But I hope it's funny as well. I will ask for my money back if it's not. <laughs> yeah, you'll get your money back. I it's am a, it's very excited. Lots of lols or your money back about this because I know that in in Love Nina, yes. it's very much about about you and your sister. Mm. Absolutely, as a character, mm. um, even though in the sort of amazing, I don't know how you feel about this comparison, but in a vaguely on slightly Maris Crane way, where. We don't. Oh, she's yes. not. She doesn't turn up. Yes. But she's so present. I've never so thought about that. Um, I didn't feel aware of your mum in the same way. But the yeah. the mother figure is such a massive, massive part yeah. of the books about the Vogel girls. So I'm yeah. curious about that relationship. Yeah, that's funny, isn't teenage it? Teenage and how again, I don't want to be overly invasive about your personal life because no one wants that. But you are you're the mother of an 18 year old girl mm. woman. Do you feel like that sort of that came up, or you found out more about your relationship? with your daughter and parenthood and your writing or were you thinking about families in general or did it feel completely separate and completely different my mother wasn't really present in love nina because it was very much between my sister and me mm. and she was a bit maris craney and um but my mother's very very significant in the novels subsequently and in fact is even more so in the third novel she's very much there and I at the beginning I kind of slightly break the fourth wall or is it the third wall? Oh, it's the fourth wall. It's the fourth wall. Sorry. Very drafty theatre. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm not. I don't go to the (laughs) theatre. It's all outdoors here. It's all outdoors. Um, In the round. It's the Minac. I go to the Minac. There are no walls. Yes. I I say. I say. I apologise. I say, I'm 18. Why am I writing about mm. my mother so much? I really shouldn't be friends with her anymore. But I can't help myself because I like her. And that was the truth. She was this terrible mother, uh, but she was also brilliant. And so I can't help writing about her. She was so important to me. And she'd done all those awful things when we were kids. You know, she sent us off to London to buy her drugs when we were nine on the train. But she taught us how to be happy. It sounds really gushy, but reading those books, and I've loved those books so much, and they are just so so charming and funny, and you're absolutely like, well, yes, of course that seems entirely reasonable, and you're so with Lizzie on her journey. And it is only afterwards you say it now. Fucking hell. (laughs) Yeah, and it's true, and we do look back, and you know, there are lots of things in the current book, the book I'm currently or just about Mm. to publish, I've had to say to my mum... Mum, I'm going to have to talk about your shoplifting. Now, of course, it's fiction, mm. but everybody knows that it's very clearly mm. based on on reality. And so whether or not my mum did do lots of shoplifting, they're going to think, people that read it are going to think she did. And so 
so when I say my mum needs to get a lodger because mm. she's got no money now because she's given up shoplifting, which a lot is of... a brilliant joke. And it, yeah, it's a good joke. And also, and also yeah, true. <laughs> it's funny because it's yeah, true. And I, you know, I she didn't shoplift because she had that Lady Isabel Barnet thing. Mm. She shoplifted because she didn't have any money. Out of necessity. Yeah, it, it was cheese. It wasn't lipsticks. It was cheese, everyone. Um, anyway but I wonder whether that is like your mum has this sort of instantly established intimacy at, you know book events with book people because you know lots of people that she doesn't know do get quite a lot of details right. about well, her and I'll so tell you, I'll tell you what it is she was in inverted commas a bad mum so she was a drinker and she was taking god knows what drugs and she was a single mom and she kept having babies and abortions and she was naughty and bad and a menace and she didn't nobody liked her and they were very disapproving of her and so she had no friends so she was lonely and so she did those things more so that all that was her history as a mother and then I published the first book that really focused on her mm. doing those things and not one person hasn't loved her and understood. They've either loved her for comedy reasons or they've felt painful familiarity or they've felt sorry for her or they've just celebrated her. And so suddenly, after years of being the black sheep of the family and the the naughty woman in the village or, you know, the, the, the slut, the the alky, the druggie, the, 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 the posh misfit dropout all those things that she's been to everyone that's all gone now and she's just loving it and she's getting vindication mm. or something you know if she'd been a man bringing up four kids mm. on her own and having a bit of whiskey with it yeah. and a few shags people would make a lovely film about it's it it's so true but who wouldn't turn to gin under the circumstances whiskey darling a whiskey yeah no, and she, was, she wasn't the most reassuring parent to have. Uh, and we didn't always feel everything was fine. And we had the electricity cut off and things like that. And a, a sort of more sorted mum wouldn't have let that happen somehow. But she was brilliant in other ways, you know. Mm. She introduced us to culture and books and funnies and comedy. And she's been a real hero. I think it's really, really interesting... Um, the way I see parenting almost being fetishized by the media and it's mm. a really cult and even in the um, you know oh 10 minutes late for the school run aren't I awful and yeah. you know that real you don't have that anti-heroine mm. who is a mum anywhere really well, and nobody dare be because you know even living in Cornwall when we should be able to let the kids leave the premises without having somebody with them. You feel, oh gosh, but what if something did happen then? Mm. So, you you know, it, it is terribly difficult. Um, well, it's weird. I, I've written about myself pretty much. Mm. Um, and just flukily, I've always been the age that they, my kids are. So when I was writing about 10-year-old Lizzie, my son was 10. And so I'd I'd have Lizzie doing things mm. and think, would Lizzie actually think that? And then my son would come and say something that would prove, yeah, she would. He's a bright ten-year-old. Lizzie was a bright ten-year-old. Yeah, she would say that. And so I've and at the moment my daughter's having driving lessons, and in the book Lizzie's having driving lessons. That's a complete accident, but of course it's not really because we're both seventeen slash eighteen. Yeah. So that's when. Um, but un unlike. Lizzie, my daughter's driving instructor, won't get his penis out because it's not the 1980s. Delighted to hear that. Yeah, no, he definitely won't. And I know he won't, but driving instructors back in the 70s and 80s might. You know, it was a time for that. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, it's awful. Um, but it does seem so sort of, you know, not all... Look, it was opportunistic. Mm. You know, I would be in a place. Lots of jobs, aren't there, where it's not necessarily that everybody who does that job is. Oh terrible, God, I'm not. But, no, I'm not casting spells at but, driving. That. But yeah. Oh look, that's Gareth's book. Garth's ah, book, Wildest Cowboy. Cowboy. It's really good. That looks great. Um, I thought that's a, I'll do a very clumsy segue. I've seen some sexy books over there. Um, yeah. Hopefully, Where's books that you books? wanted to read rather than um, people just sort of whopping them out at you in the library. Oh, God, look at this somewhere. I saw 
Where's she gone? Jackie Collins, oh, the yes. world is full of married men. Yeah, oh God. Said. Well, I didn't read that very young, but I read it when I was about 15, I think. But I remember reading this when I worked in a nursing home. And I remember reading a bit to one of, uh, to a patient actually, as she was, you know, incapacitated. And I read it and it was, it was a particular bit where, anyway. So was it was it requested by the patient? Oh God, no, you, no, you, no, no, no. Did you know no. what you were picking up when you read it? Did you? I know was incredibly. It was be... Look, I thought that this was perfectly normal reading material, which of course it was, but I didn't realise that to read it out loud would be a wrong thing in an adult <laughs> situation. So there's an old lady lying in bed, and I read a bit where it's a man and his wife. He's he's being needy. No, she's being needy. And they have sex. I can't remember what happens. But I, anyway, I had to... I, I did get it on Kindle and look it up. What it was, was my, <laughs> my mum told me that when somebody's, you know, near the end of their life, that even if they can't speak, they can still hear. I remember mm. I was 15, I was working in a nursing home and there were people at the end of their lives and who didn't seem to speak much. So I would always chatter away and read bits of books. And I did read the Jackie Collins uh, to this lady and it did get quite sexy in the book and um, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, a different time you just took it, it out <laughs> but it was just uh, it's only it was only much much later that I thought oh god me-. but we were all we were reading the Thornbirds ah. and Jackie Collins and we were reading a bit of Julie Cooper as well and yeah it just seemed like a good thing to do there is that amazing Victoria Woodline, isn't it, about um, someone's dad um, requesting, um, I think it might be Jackie Collins in Large Prince, like, he loves smut but he can't focus. Yeah, yes. But I've, have you ever given anyone a book as a gift, having not read the book and then realised that the book was entirely the wrong book? Oh, for sure, though. I've definitely, just on holiday, I was talking, it's more to friends lending books to people, or parents mostly, and then, well, there's quite a lot of sex in that book, isn't yeah, there? And yeah. suddenly having that moment of, yeah. um, oh, if I could just take that back or yeah, take yeah. out those pages. What are your inappropriate? Oh, my I've, my, my worst one. I've done it a lot. I often, I often buy people books that I hear are brilliant. And I buy it for myself and then, so for instance, I met a friend the other day and I got less, you know, less. Mm. And I hadn't read it yet and I was so excited to share it, even though I hadn't read it. I said, oh, look, have this. This is meant to be brilliant. I'll buy it again. And I did. But I did a really bad one with my dad, who was, I didn't know him at all well. I, you know, didn't live with him after the age of about three. And it was, you know, 1970s style divorce. So we didn't really see him very much. And he got married again, had another another family but um he's very clever he was a very clever man and very very booky very intellectual and very into uh freud and all that malarkey yeah and so this book came out called the white hotel do you know it i don't think i do know yeah that's the one and so it was my dad's birthday and i hadn't got him anything and i bought this book I think it was on a it was on an additional reading list for college or something like that. It wasn't a set text, but it was a you know, and you might want to read this as well. Mm. And so I'd bought it or whatever, and and so I gave it to my dad for his birthday. And then a month or so later, he he said, "Oh yeah, no, thank you for that book. Uh, read it, loved it." He said, "Have it? Have you read it?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And he said, "Did you like it?" I said, "Yeah, it was great. Loved it." And I hadn't read it. <laughs> and then years later, I was on holiday and it was the only decent book or the only decent looking book on a bookshelf in a hotel or something. And um, I started reading it and I was just dying because it is so sexual <laughs> in such a Freudy way. It was, I was literally, I almost could never see my dad again. It was, it was like a woman wearing a whalebone corset, taking the bone out and shoving it up. You know, it was just like, oh my God, no. It was very, very, very sexual. I can't remember. In fact, I didn't read all of it. I just couldn't. But I did get to a bit where there was a, a woman suffering from delusions that had to describe her fantasies to her psychoanalyst. And oh my God. It was just the worst thing. And my dad died last March and I, 
I always, well, I always regret that I didn't go, Dad, I didn't know how many you, but he's gone to his grave thinking that I'm some kind of utter weirdo. <laughs> Are there any books that you've read um, and you found them very funny, even though you don't think you were maybe supposed to or that wasn't the intention of the author? Sometimes people say a book's really funny and you think, oh, great, because I love funny books mm. and there aren't that many funny books. Let's face mm. it, they're not really funny. And somebody said to me, oh, this, this book's really wonderful and very, very funny. And I read it and it was a great book, but I couldn't find it funny. And the, the ones that spring to mind are the Melrose books. Ah. They're not funny. I'm they're really... brilliant. But then are they funny? I just read um, the first three, I think. Yeah. And um, I'm really glad you brought them up because I'm really curious about them and how you know because everybody adores them and yeah I think they're very very ironic and very detached and very very bitchy and I think it's interesting mm. how often um Zadie Smith is really good on them and the the English class system mm. it's all you know Nancy Mitford and super cozy and oh you know her dad was a violent psychopath but that's yeah. hilarious yeah and the honesty of class in England and Patrick Melrose but I got a bit um same with um Anthony Powell and the yes. coincidences and the name Dance dropping, and the... I just feel a bit exhausted. Yeah, yeah. I I can't remember much about Anthony Pole. Oh, is that oh. his pole? Oh, God. Yeah. Upsetting drawing rooms all over yeah. the nice bits of me. London. Wrong surnames. But I think the thing about the Melrose books, that whole amoral thing, it's a, it's kind of gone now, but I do remember it. I'm old enough to remember that posh amoral weird attitude very depressing horrible so, so anyway I did think they were brilliant but I I couldn't raise a smile I think it's very difficult to do comedy without laughing at something yes. very vulnerable and fragile that we shouldn't actually do that we should be more responsible but I do that's not to say I don't love bittersweet books and books that aren't hilarious mm. laugh out loud so I love Maria Semple. Mm. I, I love Catherine Heine. And I mean, she's got a hilarious name. That's all she needs. Yeah. And so those, so those writers, um, and also, I don't know if you read The Portable Veblen by Elizabeth Mackenzie. Portable Veblen was a little bit slapsticky, but in a, it was funny. But it, Maria Semple and um, Catherine Heine are adorably funny mm. and just wonderful without being... Nobody has to fall over. And actually, they're incredibly poignant and sad as well. Like my beloved Eleanor Oliphant, mm. which I love. And lots of people go, it's not funny. It's so sad. Why are people saying it's funny? And I think, well, but it is funny as well. But there are also some really charming bits. Do a big spoiler. There's the bit where she goes to, it's like a rugby club or it's the the family party and she's the plus one and she's sort of looking at everyone. And I think she... It's like they're all wearing like old bridesmaids dresses and everyone's, you know, awkward and the music's bad and the wine's yeah. terrible. And, and she's, I think cause she brought a carrier bag and she doesn't know what to do yeah. with it. And it's just this, there are so many details that this really, really perfect yes. description of a sort of place. And you can almost smell the yeah. community yeah. hall from yeah. the way she describes yeah. it. And I think because she might be on the autistic spectrum, people feel they shouldn't laugh about some of the observations mm. she makes. But... They're so true and real. It's a delight. There's a there's a bit where she goes to a beautician's. Yes. And she has... Does she have a Brazilian or yeah, something? Yeah, but she doesn't know what's mm. going to happen. But she's so angry about yes. it. And she says, why would I want to look like a child? Why have you done this to me? And it's such a true thing about having all your pubic hair ripped mm. off. It was why, just, who invented that? Why yeah. are they giving you £50? Pounds? Why to do that? You know, I was like that once before. I'm quite happy now. Mm. And... On a final note, who other characters um, or people you've met in books who, one way or another, didn't give a shit in a way that you admire? Oh, God, I don't know. Oh, sorry, I'm really <laughs> busy. Christ, but, um, who can we see? Well, um, it's interesting because we talked about Adrian Mole and Peter and they really did. Yeah, well, that's it. I see. I think self-consciousness is something I really like because I'm very self-conscious. Mm. So when I see somebody being incredibly self-conscious and I think Eleanor Oliphant was also she was both she was incredibly self-conscious in that she went oh I must do that mm. and then she'd go and do it and take take a carrier bag to a funeral mm. it was the funeral party wasn't oh, it oh that was it yeah it was the extra comment. yeah and 
But then there's the characters that sort of don't care, like Plug, who mm. don't seem to have a sense of self. I, I don't identify with as much, but I do find them very funny. Um, and I feel I am a little bit pooterish in that I want attention. Uh, and I will self-consciously do something like, you know, buy some lemons to have in a bowl I'm never going to use them for anything but they look pretty and then I feel like an idiot because I think what world is it that you buy fruit that you know you're never going to eat just to look nice and then do you obviously you're telling me now as an example but would you wait for someone to notice them and say oh never going to use those now you know aren't I I judge somebody that 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 said that because I think we're all in it together Mm. Huge thanks to Nina and to Peggy. Nina's new book about the vocals, Reasons to be Cheerful, is out on the 28th of March and it's published by Viking. Love Nina, Man at the Helm, Paradise Lodge and An Almost Perfect Christmas are all available now. If you haven't read them, please do. I truly believe they will make your life better. I'm Daisy Buchanan and you've been listening to Your Booked, produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. Please do subscribe, rate us and review us. It helps people find the podcast and it's great to hear what you think. For a list of the books that Nina mentions, go to our show page, acast.com slash booked. If you want to see some shelfies, find me and follow me at the Daisy B on Instagram and at NotRollerGirl on Twitter. For any questions about the podcast, email us at whybooked at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time for more furtive fun between the covers. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.